Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. Good morning, Lighthouse Church. Good morning, good morning. My name is Tola. And it's such a privilege to honestly be on this half of the service. I know you typically see me in the first half, um, but I'm honored for the opportunity to be on this half. Um, And I just want to thank Pastor Deji, Pastor Bookie for this opportunity. Today, we are going to be jumping into 2 Corinthians, which is going to be fun. I, I really did enjoy, you know, reading and studying this word. Um, And there's a specific part that really, really, really jumped out to me, which is what we'll be talking about this morning. All right, so I mentioned that we're going to be jumping into 2 Corinthians today. And just to give us a little bit of a theoretical background so that we can orient ourselves, so that we have a better understanding of, of the context behind this book, right? And so like a lot of the letter series, if not all of them actually, this book was written by Paul to the Corinthians, the Church of Corinthians. And Pastor and Boye already touched upon it. You know, I think it was the month before Love Month about how these Corinthians, they were wilding out. Low-key, they were kind of trifling. They were up to all sorts of things. And so I imagine that when the Corinthians received this letter, and this is the vibe that I kind of get as I'm reading through this letter, right? So imagine yourself growing up when you were a child, maybe you're still a child, you know, some of us are grown, grown in this church, and some of us are still growing. But yeah, imagine yourself as a child doing something that you know isn't right, and coming home to receive chastisement from your parents. And so, you know, when you do something wrong, maybe you expect that their, their typical response will be that they're angry or that they're upset with you, but that's not the case. This time they come home, you know, they, they catch wind of the, that wrong thing that you know you did, but you weren't supposed to do, and they hit you with the, uh, I'm disappointed speech. I don't know about you guys, but I think I would rather honestly have my parents upset or angry with me than to give me the, I'm disappointed speech because it's easier for me to just be like, oh, they're mad, they're mad, versus like sit in that vulnerability of this thing that I did not only upsets them, but I kind of let them down, right? You know, I had all of these expectations and these standards and I didn't do them, but I like let them down in the process of doing that. So I can only imagine that that's how the, you know, that's how the Corinthians felt when they received that letter. and. In between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, Paul actually came and chastised the Corinthians, right? So he he coins that in the book of 2 Corinthians as the painful visit. And so what we see in 2 Corinthians now is a reconciliation letter between Paul and the Corinthians after that painful visit of, of that, like, I'm disappointed in you guys' speech. I know you guys know better. You know, this is not the standard. This is not what's expected of you. But in 2 Corinthians, we catch wind that the Corinthians were disregarding Paul's credentials in favor of what they like to call super apostles. And these super apostles were individuals who are more eloquent, you know, they were very well spoken. 
And this is a very big digression, but I'm a big fan of MCU, which is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Just, I just imagine these super apostles, and, I, and this is just a figment of my imagination. There was nothing genuinely speaking in the Bible <laughs> to support this, but like I imagine them as wearing you know, the spandex and the tights and having capes and having SA all across their chest with super apostles. Um, and so like I said, these super apostles were just were just men who were speaking eloquently. Maybe they had big words. They were making super linear points. And they were comparing Paul to these super apostles. And just to give you some more background context, before Paul was, you know, turning people's hearts for Jesus, he was actually a Pharisee. And Pharisees were individuals whose lives were dedicated to the letter of the law in the sense that they were very, very, very legalistic. And to get to that point where you're able to just like memorize and spit spit out the letter of the law back to you obviously takes a lot of rigorous training. And so I can only imagine the depth of knowledge that Paul already had over these super apostles. And so there's a million and one ways that Paul could have honestly responded to some of these accusations of essentially being called an imposter. But Paul ref responds by defending, in, by defending his credentials, but not in the way that you'd expect. So I can only imagine that, let's say somebody is, is, you know, is tarnishing your reputation and is maybe saying things about you that aren't true, how would you react, you know? Maybe you might go and say, this is absolutely false for these, 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 these reasons. You know, I'm actually this, I am well studied, I have four, five, six, seven degrees, but that's not how Paul responded, right? And so he says, you know what? Maybe I'm not as eloquent and maybe I am a manual laborer. Paul was a tent maker. And yes, I've been homeless. Yes, I've been imprisoned. Yes, I've been shipwrecked. Yes, I've gone hungry. But all of that is what validates the fact that I am an apostle of Christ. And so when you think about Jesus, who Jesus is the standard of Christianity, right? It's, it's everything that we do that we strive to be Christ-like. Jesus wasn't, wasn't really bougie, right? <laughs> he suffered, he was nailed to the cross like a criminal, and yet he was the only one qualified to die on the cross like Jesus. So if you think about these super apostles and you think about Paul, Paul was probably more close in, in behavior, in experience to Jesus than these super apostles were. So what am, I, what am I getting at? All of this has been, you know, background context information. What I'm trying to get at is coming from my main text for today, which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. And I'll be reading from the Passions translation. And so it says, Are we beginning to sound like those who speak highly of themselves? Do you really need letters of recommendation to validate our ministry like others do? Do we really need your letter of endorsement? Of course not, for your very lives are our letters of recommendation, permanently engraved on our hearts, recognized and read by everybody. And so in this text, Paul is essentially saying that the Corinthians, the Corinthian church, they are living proof of his credentials, right? And so, in all of these accusations, Paul turns around and says, you're asking for letters of recommendations while your lives are my letter of recommendation. 
Um, but what would it look like if Paul had responded differently and actually started to see himself as an imposter when compared to the standards of all these super apostles? And so what is imposter syndrome? Imposter syndrome is the reason we quit early before we have the chance to disappoint. Imposter syndrome might be the reason we never fully step into our call because we feel like a fraud or because we feel like we're putting up a front. Imposter syndrome looks like comparing yourself to standards that don't account for anything. It would have been easy, honestly, it would have been super, super easy for Paul to look at these super apostles and just feel like an imp imposter among them. So now that we kind of have an understanding of what's going on in this second Corinthians, what's going on and what imposter syndrome is, what does imposter syndrome do, especially in the context of our calling from God? So number one is that imposter syndrome has roots in perfectionism and plants seeds of doubt. And so we're gonna be looking at a case study. I'm gonna be looking at the story of Gideon, which honestly, as I was reading this, in my head I was thinking, Gideon, why are you like this? But then I thought about it and I said, there's, there's some aspects of Gideon in all of us. There's a lot of things Gideon was you know, out here doing that I'm like, <laughs> me too, Gideon. I, it's funny when you read about it and you remove yourself from it, but like, honestly, this is probably stuff that we find ourselves doing as well. So Judges 6 verses 14 to 15, um, I'm gonna be reading the New Living Translation. And this is essentially, Gideon is sitting underneath a tree, threshing wheat, and the Lord comes to him, right? And this is the exchange of how it goes. So, the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And so if we're taking this as just a, a case study, there's two things that stand out to me here. And we'll get to that, but I have to, dis I have to first describe the difference between the word but and and. So in class, we've been learning about, so I'm, I'm, I'm training to be a counselor, but um, in class, we're learning that when we're dialoguing with our clients, that we should like stay away from the word but, right? And always try to use and. And is a continuation of a thought, of an idea. So if you think about you know, Lighthouse, we are a family and we don't do life alone. On the other hand, but is, is, is a pivoting word. But changes the context and negates everything that you've said beforehand. Right, so if you think of a breakup, which may be coming out of love month, a lot of you are re-examining some of your relationships. No shade, but. <laughs> so if you think about a breakup, right, let's say, you know, you sit down with a, with, a, with a guy and you're like, oh, you know, you're a really great person and I've really enjoyed getting to know you, but we just can't continue seeing each other. The man's not gonna care that he's a nice person and that you really enjoyed getting to know him. The only thing he hears after that but is that we can't continue to see each other. And so the word but, like I said, it negates everything that comes before it and it's a pivoting word. And so when God tells Gideon to go and rescue Israel from the Midianites and, God, and, 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 and Gideon replies by saying, but Lord, 
He's already negated everything that God has said about him prior. And so God said, go with the strength you have. I am sending you. Gideon says, but Lord. And so he's essentially telling God, I'm not strong. And he says that, right? And he says, how, how me, a whole me, how am I going to go and rescue the Israelites? And so he's invalidating what God has says about him. And then he's also changing the narrative of the story. He says, how can I rescue Israel? Not only is my clan the weakest, <laughs> I am the least in my family. So I am like the bottom of the barrel level type. Can't be me that you've called for this, right? And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9, um, reading from the Passion Translation, Paul says something that really, 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 really jumped out at me. And in this, in this, like prior to this, he's, he's dialoguing with God. And so if you start off in verse 9, it says, but he answered me, he being God, me being Paul. But God answered Paul saying, my grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds its full expression through your weakness. And so now this is Paul. So I will celebrate my weakness, for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. And so what does this mean, right? Oftentimes we think, oh, God has called me to do this thing, but I am flawed and I am weak and I have all of these, these things that, you know, that hinder me from, from being able to do what God has called me to do. But we see here that vulnerability isn't, you know, synonymous with weakness. Weakness is not synonymous with vulnerability. Weakness is actually an invitation for God to come and fill us with his power, right? If we expect to do anything that God has called us with our own capabilities um, and our own capacities, we're always, always going to fall short, right? And I know that Pastor has mentioned this a couple times in the past, but God will never give you everything that you need and equip you with everything that you need to go and do what he's called you for, because then really what is the point? And so we see here that, you know, number one, just when God says something about you and speaks something about you and gives you a calling and you're looking at all of these weaknesses that you have, don't change the narrative that God has called you for. Don't negate everything that God has said about you. Just, you know, walk in alignment. And so what's the second thing that imposter syndrome does. And so the second thing is that it's a distraction from, from action, right? So it causes hesitation and it can stop us from doing what we've been called to do. And so we see this when, when Gideon asks, how can I rescue Israel? So Gideon's already looking at the task at hand and he's assessing all the ways in which he doesn't measure up. Like I, like I said earlier, I, God, I'm the bottom of the barrel. My clan is weak. I'm the least in that clan. And what does that cause? That causes him to, number three, negotiate his obedience. And so imposter syndrome can also cause you to negotiate your obedience to fit what you're comfortable doing, which may not necessarily fully be what God has called you to do. And so you're looking at it as kind of a sort of compromise. Like, yeah, God, you know, you've called me to do this thing, and I'm kind of doing it halfway the way that I think that I should do it. But that's not fully what God has called you to do. Again, if we look at Gideon as a case study, in Judges 6.25, God gives him instructions to tear down his father's altar of a false god named Baal. And in its 
place to build an altar to God. And so we see that Gideon does obey God. You know, he doesn't try to fight. He says, okay, cool. God, this is what you call me to do. I'll do it. But he does so in the middle of the night with 10 other people under the cover of the darkness because he was afraid. And so in another instance in verse 36 to 40, we see that Gideon asked God to prove that God has specifically called him to rescue the Israelites. And Gideon, you know, is like, God, you know, show me a sign. And he does this through what I like to call the fleece test. And so essentially Gideon says, okay, God, I'm going to take this piece of fleece, which is like a piece of fabric. I'm going to put it on the ground. I'm going to go to bed and I'm going to ask that in the morning, the fleece is wet, but the ground around it is dry. And so God does, God does what Gideon has asked him to do. Gideon wakes up the next morning, sees that the cloth is wet, rings it out and says, okay, I see you, God. I see you. Okay, but God, please don't be angry with me. Take two. I'm going to put this piece of fleece wool on the ground. I'm going to ask that the, 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 the fleece is dry, but the ground around it is wet. And so what does God do? He does that again. And so how many times have you found yourself in this position? Like I said, when I, when I got to this part of Gideon's story, I was just like, Gideon, what are you doing? But it's so easy to look at Gideon and laugh when we find ourselves doing that as well. So for example, God tells you to call somebody up that you barely talk to and to speak with them, maybe on the phone or through Zoom, about a very, very specific issue. And so you say, okay, God, I hear you, but I never really talked to this person. So it'd be super weird if I called them out of the blue and asked them, you know, can I pray for you on this very specific issue? So how about on Monday, I pray for them by myself privately, and I know that this person will show up, you know, during Sunday morning team rallies. And so during Sunday morning team rallies, when Toby asks for roundtable, you know, is there any prayer points that we want going into the week? You say, okay, and then that's when I'll raise up that specific issue, but just like as a general thing, so that if it's, you know, relevant to the person, they can catch that Holy Spirit, you know, and if it's not, then we move. And so you bargain with God saying, so this is what you've called me to do, and I'm kind of doing it, but in my own way. But that's not what God asked you to do. God asked you to pick up the phone and call this person and pray to them about a specific issue. And I'm just thinking, what if Paul had this in same internal talk track and tried to bargain with God on the road to Damascus? And so in Acts 9, Paul is on the road to Damascus, um, had an encounter with God and was blinded. And from there, he was directed by God to go into the city of Damascus and await further instructions for him. And that's when God also asked a man named Ananias to go to Paul and tell Paul that he was to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the kings, to the Israelites. And so could you imagine how the entire narrative, you know, the entire story of Paul would change if Paul was like, oh, hey, God, I hear you, but I, I, just, I just got blinded right now. So how about before I go into the city of Damascus, you know, why don't I go and find a doctor? He can come and cure me of this blindness, and then I'll go into the city and then await your further instructions. How would Christianity have looked today? Only God knows. And so I, I bring this up to ask you, how many lives are being affected through your, you know, your, the seeds that you've planted in yourself, through the stories 
about what God has told you about yourself that you're changing through your hesitations, through your inactions, and through your bargaining with God. How many lives are being affected? How many stories are being changed? And I'm not, I'm not here to call anybody out because I could only throw this rock as far as my own hesitations, my own bargaining with Christ will take me, right? And so now that we kind of have a sense of imposter syndrome that, you know, it's a distraction from action, it um, plants seeds of doubt in us, and it just causes us to bargain with God, how do we overcome it? So this might be hard to hear, but just like it was never about Paul and his credentials, it's not about you. Imposter syndrome paralyzes us because it it causes us to focus inward, right? Um, which is the opposite that we've been called, of what we've been called to do as Christians. Um, we, we, we recently heard a story, um, not a story, sorry, a sermon about, about others, about what to do for others, right? Imposter syndrome causes us to look for validation in our own capabilities and our own capacities. And so it's important for us to pause and examine what our motivation for validation is coming from. Are you validated in the work that God has called you for, or is it that you're validated in how others perceive you? And so it's so, so, so easy for the Corinthians to criticize Paul based on how we measured up to these other super apostles because those were the standards that they had created himself. And if Paul was honestly anything like me, maybe anything like you, he would have been looking to get validation from what the Corinthians thought about him instead of what God had called him to do, right? And so Paul came and did what God called him to do, and that's where he was validated. That's what he was validated in. And we see that when he says in 2 Corinthians 3 verses 2, for your very lives are our letters of recommendation. He's basically saying the same people who are accusing me of being an imposter, the same people who are saying that I'm not good enough, the same people who are, are creating these standards that are and, and, are and are criticizing my apostleships, these are the same people that are my letter of recommendation. And if you think about, if you think about a tree, think about like an orange tree or an apple tree or whatever, nobody ever really looks at an apple tree, an orange tree, and they're like, wow, that's a really good tree. Ooh, when we look at you know an apple tree or orange tree, we're not looking at the tree and 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 determining if it's living up to the standards and expectations. We're looking at the fruit of that tree, right? Ooh, this orange is sweet, right? When you sit down and you eat your orange or you drink your orange juice, you eat your apple, drink your apple juice at breakfast, you're not thinking about the tree that you came from. You're just talking about the fruit of that of that tree. And so the Corinthians, which us <laughs> and modern day Christians, we are the fruit of Paul's apostleship. Until today, we are still his letters of recommendation. And that kind of begs the question and asks, what sort of fruit are we bearing, right? And so how we choose to align, align with God in the words that we say, in the actions that we take, in the way in which we choose to identify in Christ and not the world, is the validation that we need to have to know that we are meeting all of these standards, right? God has called us. And I keep, it was a couple weeks ago where I saw, 
is it a meme? I don't know. I saw something that was circling around um, the internet, and it was it was something along the lines of um, when God called you, it was not a conference call, right? I'm gonna say that again. When God called you, it was not a conference call. God didn't call you in the company of your parents, of your pastors, of your peers. That was a conversation between you and God. And so if you've been asked to do something by God, why are you then looking at other people to see if you're meeting that expectation? Shouldn't you be looking to the person, to the thing, to the being who called you, right? And I think that it's also important to know that in Jeremiah 1 verse 5, it says, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. And so that just goes to show that like, sure, maybe you do have certain things that you're missing. Maybe God has called you to this, this thing that looks so big and looks completely undoable, but he knew you before he forms you and puts you in your mother's womb, right? And so he gave you the stuff that he knew that you needed, and he also gave you, you know, a relationship with him so that you can go and lean on God for support. You can run to God. You can look to God instead of looking to, to your parents, to your peers, to your pastors. Not that all of these people aren't important. They are. Um, and they, you know, God can use them to support you, but it shouldn't be their validation. It shouldn't be their standard. It shouldn't be their expectations that is motivating you to do what God has called you to do. It should be God who calls you to do that thing. And so when you stop doing things for the benefit of others and you start doing things for the benefit of God, it's that much harder to be influenced by the standards of others. It's that much harder to, to, to have imposter syndrome come and you know, permeate the things that you do. And if you think about it as well, when you go to heaven and God is asking you about your life and all, all the things that you, you've done, He's not going to ask your pastors. He's not going to ask your friends. He's not going to ask your spouse for you know, a letter of recommendation. He's going to look at your life. He's going to look at your life and your life and the things that you chose to do and did not do and how you chose to walk in alignment or not walk in alignment with him. That's going to be your letter of recommendation. Also, nobody really wrote a letter of recommendation for Jesus, right? And if you think about it, I said earlier, Jesus didn't even necessarily fit the standards of the world that he lived in. He was out here doing signs, miracles, and wonders on the Sabbath day instead of, you know, resting. He was hanging around all manners of people that people at that time would side eye and be like, and you call yourself holy? If Jesus had gotten distracted by that and started doing things to please what everybody else was, you know, thinking, I mean, it's Jesus, so... I'm, that wouldn't happen, but like, where, where would we be right now, right? Jesus stayed faithful in what he came, what he was called to do, and he was the only person, no matter of how the optics around him looked, he was the only person who was qualified to lay down his life for your sins, for my sins, and now his life is the standard by which we choose to live. And so the only way to combat imposter syndrome is to seek validation in what God has called you for. And just know that even the things that you see as weaknesses are just invitation for God, right? And so if we think back to, to 2 Corinthians and how it's a letter of re reconciliation between Paul and the Corinthians, like 
even after all of what the Corinthians had done, after all of the accusations that they, and the criticism that they threw at Paul, you know, he was still able to, to, to give them chastisement and tell them, you know what, y'all are wrong. <laughs> but he was still able to, to have empathy, right? To, to sit them down and to talk to them like a father would talk to his child. He didn't just, you know, cancel them or, or, or cut them out. Um, and I know that we live in a, in a cancel culture, in a world where, oh, so-and-so did this, they're canceled. This company said and did this, they're canceled. God doesn't cancel us, you know? Actually, he, he just invites us that if you're not, if you haven't been walking in alignment, if you've kind of took a misstep, it's okay. If you've been living for the standards of others and not for the standards of me, it's okay. If you've been, you know, doing stuff that I've called you to do to please other people, um, that's also okay, right? God, thankfully, the God that we serve is not a, is not a God of cancellation. Um, and that's, that's for our benefit. Anyways, it's also important for us to assess what type of fruit we are bearing, right? Like I said, the goal isn't for, for what we're doing to necessarily look good. It's for it to be good, right? Are you a really beautiful, majestic apple tree? with really bitter tasting apples? Or are you a eh, okay looking apple tree, <laughs> but with the sweetest apples, right? It's more important for us to, to do the things that we do for the fruit that we're bearing than to, to make it the, the optics around it look good, right? And so I just want to leave us with this, that you should live your life as a letter of recommendation, right? So seeking validation elsewhere is just a road that's leading to insecurities. Paul says that we are his letter of recommendation. And so that is still carrying forward. Live your life as your letter of recommendation. Live your life for God. Walk in alignment with God. Whatever weaknesses and flaws that you think that you have, use that as an opportunity to invite God to come and fill those gaps, right? And so maybe there's somebody out there who's reflected on this and is tired of living up to the standards of others who's looking to be validated in Christ. Or maybe you are hearing this message today and you're moved to change the narrative of your life and to, to, to put down the pen of the letter of recommendation that you've been writing and to pick up God's pen and start writing a new letter of recommendation. So whatever category that you fall into, wherever you are, I just want you to invite Jesus into your life today, you know, and I want you to do so by putting your right hand on your heart and to repeating after me. Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord Jesus, your word says, if anyone comes to you, you will by no means cast out. I believe in my heart and confess with my mouth that you lived a sinless life, that you died for my sins, and that on the third day you rose again. From today, be the Lord of my life. Give me the grace to live my life in a way that is pleasing and consistent with your expectations. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And I just want to be the first person to say congratulations. In walking in alignment with God right now, 
I have to just share the testimony that this entire, you know, imposter syndrome, looking at my weaknesses, inviting God into my life, examining and reflecting on, is this, am I doing this for others or am I doing this for God? Has been my testimony for maybe the past six, eight months. And I do have some friends in the, in, at Lighthouse who, who know that this is something that I, I, I've just been dealing with, honestly. Um, and if, genuinely speaking, left up to me, I would not be standing here airing out my business <laughs> on the internet. Um, but as God will have it, I know that this testimony is actually touching somebody's life, right? It's not too late for you to just take a pause, re-examine, and, and start a new letter of recommendation. And a letter of recommendation that is in line with God has called you for. And so my prayer for you going into this week is just leave it up to God, guys, and reflect on what your motivation and your validate your motivation for validation is coming from. I pray that you continue to walk in alignment with what God has called you to do. Um, that despite any doubts, distractions, or bargaining, that you remain faithful to what God has called you, and that his strength and power will come and fill you up and see you through. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.